From 11FS, I'm Sam Mall, and this is Connection Interrupted. Connection Interrupted is a weekly show focusing on individuals across all walks of life whose plans and journeys were interrupted, disconnected, or rerouted. These are their stories told in their words of the obstacles they faced, the challenges they overcame, and the role technology played both as an instigator and as an instrument for positive growth and change in their lives. Today I'm talking to John and Mackenzie Baldwin, the father and daughter authors of the autobiographical book Almost Gone. Ask any father what his number one priority is when it comes to his children, and he'll tell you it's to keep them safe. This is especially true when it comes to fathers and daughters. There's a special bond between them. Stanley Bayman sums this up well for me with this quote. When my daughter says, Daddy, I need you, I wonder if she has any idea that I need her a billion times more. This is their story. Well, I've always been somebody that likes, not necessarily thinks the grass is greener on the other side, but I at least want to look, you know? So always kind of like pushing the limits and like wanting to do things that are different and um, always thinking think I'm under control and like I can handle stuff. Um, So, you know, at the time there was this site called Omegle, um, which is, it's like chat roulette that was out for a while. Um, And most people my age, they know about it and most people have been on it. They're like, Oh yeah. Like I remember that. And it was a really good pastime for a lot of people. Um, you just go online and you would basically like instantly live chat with somebody like on like on video, like Skype or something. And then if you you can type or you can talk, but most people just mute their microphone because they're with a friend and they want to be able to like talk to their friend without yeah. the other person hearing. So you type and they're all over the world. And then if you don't want to talk to them or they're like weird or like whatever, then you just click next and then it like comes up to a new person. Um, so literally that's why it was called chat roulette, but this was called Omegle's the same thing. And so this guy just came like popped up and, um, well, we had been, me and my friend Madison, we've been doing this for a while and for like, I don't know, an hour or so. And, um, it's just like a way that we just passed time in the afternoon. We've yeah. done it a few times and I, I don't know, it's just kind of unpredictable and kind of fun, but you can always just shut off the computer and like, it's over, you know, yeah. and like. So we were doing that for a while and she was mostly like doing all the typing and whatnot, but she went to the bathroom. And so I took over and just like, you know, clicked through a few people. And then this guy showed up. He just seemed really nice. He seemed, you can't really tell if somebody seems genuine, I guess, but he kind of seemed like it, like an, like a nice smile. He, he was cute. So we just started talking or like we started typing to each other and um, he was really interesting. He said he was from New York. He just seemed really cool. So we just talked for a while. And then we just became pen pals. So later, like, we, I think we talked for, like, two hours. So we just typed to each other. And we just talked about life and whatnot. Then he was like, so do you have a Facebook? I was like, yeah, yeah. And so we exchanged Facebooks. And then that was it. And I thought that was basically all. And then the next day, he messaged me, like, hey, it was really good talking to you. Like, I'm glad we have each other on Facebook. And that's literally just, like, what started things. And we were just pen pals for a while. So and that's normal. That's pretty Normal. Normal. Yeah. People, I mean, you know, it's basically the equivalent of now adding somebody on Xbox. You know, like you talk to somebody for a little while and they're cool and then you add them. And then every now and then you you play games together, you know. It's your Um, digital friend. mm -hmm. It's somebody across the world. Right. So 
Um, then a few days later, um, he told me that he was actually from Kosovo and he wasn't from New York, but he didn't really want to tell me that because he made me he because that's um, like not necessarily a great area. But he was like, I just felt like maybe we could, you know, talk better if you thought I was from like the States. And I was kind of weirded out by that. But I was like, well, I mean. I guess that's fine. It's not like we're never going to, we're not, we're not going to meet, you know? Right. So that's just kind of how it started. We just became pen pals and we just talked. And then just over the year, we got more and more involved. And, um, I saw few, this over a couple months. Oh yes. Like it was that, I think it started April and it, and everything came to light in June of so the is, next year. Oh, so this is your senior year of high school, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, the throughout very the year. end of my junior year. Throughout that summer and all of, of senior year. So, and cu- I'm curious, in real life, did you have a boyfriend or anything like that? So, yeah, I did in the very beginning. So it's two separate lives. Mm-hmm. It's online and then mm-hmm. in real. And, you know, I I did write about that in the book because um, his name was Jeremy. And we're still friends, like, to this day. Yeah, we great. hung out just a few weeks ago because we were all part of a really close high school group. So we all, are, we all stay yeah. in contact. But, yeah, I mean, he was a great guy. And we dated for a little over a year. Uh, we ended up breaking up in October of my senior year. So this guy, um, Adam, we talked for a while, but it was so it was very harmless. And it, you know, it kind of progressed to, hey, like if I come to Dallas, do you think we could meet and get coffee? And I never thought that was really going to happen, right. or at least in the beginning. Of course, later I did. But um, I was like, yeah, sure. Like, if you ever come here, sure, I'll meet you for coffee. If we're still talking, whatever. Is he about college age at the time, from he what you could tell? He was 22. Okay, so. Mm-hmm. So a little bit older. Basically, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was—he actually was attending college. Um, so, you know. John, you had no clue. I had no idea. Because, by the way, I was working you hours that were ridiculous. Because I remember <laughs> this. We were <laughs> working true. together. You worked right. on a project with me, mm-hmm. and you were burning the midnight oil yeah. on that. But we had parental controls on her computer and different things like that. We had a lot of rules in place. You're not allowed to laugh about parental controls. <laughs> but let me make a well, comment about parental controls. Mm-hmm. Good luck, everybody. I'm going to be very blunt. Well, that's a, that's a lesson learned yeah. um, is that we felt like we had a lot of security, you know, in place and rules in place and no computers upstairs and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, a big part of this took place on our phone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of it. Because, yeah. you know, the phone's just a computer. And, and she's very good at hiding it. So we, we only saw there was a religious change in all this. And we, we her behavior was changing. So we, we just could not understand what was, was happening. So I have no clue, right? So I wasn't there. Was it becoming more isolated? We were seeing radical changes in her core beliefs. And then we saw her separating from her friends. And we saw her spending more time at work. And as it progressed on, uh, you know, it got very contentious at home. Did you feel like that was happening, Mackenzie, in your life? Uh, yes, I did. Yeah. But um, by the time I stopped hanging out with my friends, well, I mean, I guess going back to Jeremy at first, we we broke up in October and me and Adam were talking just, just like friends. And right. that was it. But he did slowly start talking about like, why are your friends doing that? Because, you know, I don't know if I should say this, but we would drink every now and then. Yeah, Nothing like crazy, but, you know, um, and he would say, like, you know, why are you doing that? Like, that's not necessarily right. And he's not wrong. You know, like he is right. I probably shouldn't be drinking sometimes. And it was me and Madison. And then basically everyone else were guys. And that's just I've just hung out with guys mostly. Um, Sounds so much like my yeah. <laughs> 15-year-old daughter. Oh my so God. it was us two. And then it was probably about five guys. And we would all hang out. But we were all friends. And that includes Jeremy. And he would just be like, that's a lot of guys that you're hanging out with. And I was like, 
why do you care? Like I have a boyfriend, you know, like, you know, um, but Jeremy and I, we did slowly start having problems and, you know, you kind of, it was my first long relationship. And so you have those dreams of like, Oh, like we're going to stay together forever and like all this stuff. And we just did not want to let go, you know, even though it was clearly time. And so we ended up kind of taking a break and we were like on and off. And while we were kind of like on the rocks, Adam used that time to kind of like come in a little bit and kind of like, Oh, it's okay. Like, I'm here, you know, that kind of thing. And like, kind of build me up. So when you reflect on that now, looking back, can you kind of see the social engineering mm-hmm. kind of taking? Oh that? yeah, absolutely. Is, is this any catfishing involved in this too? Or is this more just John's nodding? You lived through it. Do you? Catfishing as well. People think of catfishing as that's not the person right, at all. Right. But this really isn't the case. This is a real person. This They're is a real, real guy. person. Right. We Skyped. Yeah. And we talked to each yeah. other. Um, but catfishing in the form of he wasn't who he said he was yes but he was the physical person okay you know and were you during all this john trying to find out or were you just because you were noticing changes and were you figuring she's 18 she's gonna we graduate were, no we were very alarmed um because yeah. just some of the mckinney's have spent an enormous amount of time together since the time she was five until up until then we we've spent endless hours of camping and backpacking and rock climbing i mean been very, very involved. So I know her very, very well. And like a daughter. And I was very, <laughs> yeah, I was very, very, we were very, very worried. Um, she was pulling away from us. She's, we knew how social she was. She's pulling away from her friends. She just wasn't the same. Things that were important to her were no longer important to her. Uh, there were a lot of red flags, but we, for the life of us, could not figure out what was going on. We just, we, yeah. we thought it was a religious rebellion. Um, it was very, very hard at home. Very, very difficult. So when did it kind of cross the line, Mackenzie, in your opinion? When did it go from, you know, somebody socially to, all right, this is starting to well, get interesting? it's two different perspectives. So if I'm talking about when did it cross the line with me personally, yes. when I was that age, yeah. well, like when I was um, 18, it was much far. I would say it was um, October because that's when I started being like, Oh, like I was in really deep already, you know, and I kind of I was starting to see like I was in that current and I couldn't necessarily get out that easily. But I think it really crossed the line probably two months after we started talking, like for like me talking now, which would be June yeah. um, at that time. So, you know, I would say I'd say June if I'm looking at it from my perspective right now. Was Adam kind of pushing to say, let's meet in real life. Let's it's one of those. Right. Take it to the next stage. Mm -hmm. kind of. You know, but um, it was really interesting the way he did it, because you always hear about people. They get in contact with somebody and they hear the guy say, oh, yeah, like, let's meet up here. And that's kind of like the first. And it's easy to say, oh, well, like I would never do that, you know. But he had originally said, I'll go to Dallas. And so we kind of hung on to that idea for a while, a few months. And then um, after that, he was like, hey, I don't have enough money to come to Dallas. I'll go to New York. And uh, I was like, well, I mean, because he was talking about coming the next summer um, after my senior year. And I was like, well, I mean, yeah, like, that'd be fine. You know, if you if you can come to New York, sure, I'll, I'll meet you at New York. Like, I've never been there. I thought that'd be cool. But I still didn't necessarily 100 percent believe he was going to go to New York, right. you know. And then we held on to that idea for a few months. And and by that time, my boyfriend and I were broken up. I hadn't been seeing my friends that much because they knew I wasn't in a good place. And I didn't really know I wasn't in a good place. But um, we weren't really talking that much. And um, eventually he said, hey, um, I can't go to New York, but can you go to Switzerland and meet me there? 
And we had, I mean, I had talked about going to Europe before and I really wanted to do some sort of like really big, like, um, end of year sort of thing. And I can go there and backpack and go to Switzerland and all this cool stuff. And I had a friend that actually lived in Switzerland. She was, um, a foreign exchange student with my aunt. So I knew her personally and I thought, well, I'll go to Switzerland um, after a lot of thinking, I was like, yeah, I'll go to Switzerland and I'll stay with Muriel, the, the, the girl. And that way she can have tabs on me. Her family can have tabs on me and I can meet Adam and it'll be cool. And so we held on to that idea for a long time. And I really started this. I mean, we were by the end of this, we were heavily involved. I mean, I was like, yeah, like, this is good. This is good. Like, I'm going to meet him finally, like all this stuff. I think I think it was March that we started, that he came to me and he said, hey, I, I can't go to Switzerland. I don't have enough money. Can you meet me in Kosovo? And he didn't just bring out that idea. He was like, what are we going to do? You know, and we had to think yeah. about it and set on it. He was like, well, I mean, you could come to Kosovo. And it sounds so like obvious when I say he said this, like A, B, C, and D. And it's obvious what he's doing, but this is over the point of a year yeah. and months in between and me not thinking straight. And only listening to one person. Oh yeah. Only one person. Did you have time. a passport? Oh yes. I, um, did you know she was getting a passport or did you have one before? We, we were actually, um, we knew about the Switzerland trip. We were, yeah. we were going to help her do that. It was going to be her senior trip. We knew the family. We knew the girl. Okay. Uh, of course we didn't know any of this other stuff was going on. So we were, Kind of hoping that would be motivation for her to get ready for school, take a gap year, yeah, a gap year, have Very a great, you know, have a great opportunity there. Um, so we were talking to her about Switzerland, but there was a lot more going on that we didn't yeah. know yeah. about. But for a passport, though, I did have. We all had my original passport, mm-hmm. and we were also going to go to Cancun later on. And this is farther down the line when things were really starting to pick up, like just yeah. a few months before I was supposed to leave. We were supposed to go to Cancun and they had taken my passport and locked it away because I knew where that passport was. It was like right. in the drawer. And so I knew at this point I was like, I'm planning to leave to go to Kosovo at this time. Unbeknownst to them, at this point it had switched to I'm going to just go to Kosovo. And they didn't know there was no Switzerland trip anymore. Um, we had kind of moved on to that because I knew that I couldn't go to Switzerland anymore. Now it was Kosovo because at this point it wasn't about traveling anymore. It was about seeing him. Yeah. But yeah. So every night I would check um, that drawer where my passport was just because I knew that was my out. Like I knew that's how I would, I would go see him. Yeah. And one day I looked in there and it wasn't there, which obviously, you know, I was, I freaked out about because then now I can't leave. If I don't have my passport, I don't have Adam was my, you know, thinking. So I went to, the mosque at the time. And I was like, I don't know what to do. My passport's gone. Earlier that night I had searched up like, you know, replacement passport stuff. And I talked to the people at the mosque and they kind of told me like, well, yeah, this is what you do. Like, you know, this, and I asked, will I get in trouble if I file for a replacement passport? Even though I had asked my mom and she said that she put it in the um, safe, safe deposit box. Yeah. And um, how much, how much of a clue to the mosque have or did it you were coming and asking him questions? Well, you know, so yeah. The thing is, I wasn't 100% truthful with them. Yeah. I told them that me and Adam had met. I said that I had met him in Europe. I'd never been to Europe, but I said we had met for a day. Like I said, our family yeah. went to Europe and I saw him and we talked for 
a few hours. And ever since then, we've been talking. Right. So they they thought that we had met in person, but they knew that my family didn't know. They knew that my family didn't know I was planning on leaving. And um, they were, I say, a big help in like helping me kind of like some of the planning. Yeah. Around do it the and, planning. And yeah. Um, but also, you know, you have to keep in mind I was not 100% truthful with them. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. but, um, and you're 18 and you're an right. adult. Right. And I am an adult, you know, so there is that. So basically they were like, you know, if you file, if you file for a placement passport, there's no way to really know that you, yeah. you know, that you don't have it. And you, you, they were like, you could say that you don't know where it is, you know, because it's not in your possession. So I went to the passport office and I got a new replacement passport. And I expedited it because at this time it was getting close to the time right. to leave. So. And you said it was lost. I said it was lost. I said so it was. so what was the trigger event that then got you involved? It was your friends, right? You had three close friends? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jordan, Madison, and Sarah. Yep. So, um, so, and, did, and they found out what was going on or you finally told them or what? Yeah, well, I had told each of them. So Jordan and Sarah, we were really close. We met in Hats, this um, high adventure treks for dads and daughters. So it was us three. And then Madison didn't know Jordan and Sarah, but she was my friend from high school. Um, And Jordan and Sarah and I didn't go to high school together, but we knew each other through us. But I would meet with Jordan and Sarah and I would talk to them and for the most part, tell them the same information. Um, Sometimes I would meet with Jordan and tell her a little bit more, but um, they knew what was going on. And I would tell Madison what was going on in my other six, eight friends, they knew the gist of what was going on, but they didn't know like in depth, like how close I was, but they did know that I was probably planning on leaving. But, you know, most of them just thought it was just like a phase that I was just going to move on. And that was it. But I did tell Jordan, Madison and Sarah the most. And oh, and I had told them, by the way, I had told them that if they did tell my parents that I I already had my passport and I was going to leave if my parents found out. And, you know, they were worried, but I tried to comfort them. I was like, you know, this is fine. This is what I want. But I put them in a very difficult situation because if they told, they knew that I would know. Legally. Right. Again, I'll keep saying Mm -hmm. this. You're 18. We're not talking about a 14-year-old. You're 18. You're an adult. You have your passport. Mm -hmm. So this is where my one paragraph in the book comes up. So John and I are knee-deep in this project with a large bank and we're working. And I get this phone call from John. And he said, I need to take some time off. And John never asked for time off, by the way. You need to ask for more time off. I'm I'm helping you out in life in general. I'm real good at that. Um, And I said, yeah, I mean, it's not a problem. What's going on? And and he said, I I really don't know what to do. And I think this is maybe a handful of days after your friends had come and talked Mm -hmm. to you. Mm -hmm. And you kind of gave me the gist of what was happening and how worried you were. Mm -hmm. And uh, being the adult that I am, I said, hey, I know a guy. He's like an ex-seal. <laughs> oh, yeah. right. I wasn't lying. Yeah, I'm He's the guy. Yeah, right. Steve Paderas, I'm talking about you. So this guy <laughs> who works with special forces in uh, Fort Benning, Georgia. And I said, if you need me to introduce you, I would feel free. Mm-hmm. But I suggest you talk to the FBI or something like that. And so, John, what was going on? I mean, obviously, they came and told you. And now you understand the situation. How did you figure out what to do next? I got the call while we were in Wilmington, yeah. and it was just one of the dads uh, called me and said, "I, you know, he was stumbling around. He's a really polished professional. Very rarely get calls from him, but I was in a work meeting, and he just said, I need you to call me right away. And uh, it was very unusual. So I went back to this conference room, and he was just stumbling around. I couldn't, couldn't quite get the words out, and I could tell he was struggling. And he said, 
you know, has McKenzie ever said anything to you about a religious change, you know, about, you know, being involved with Islam? It's like, yeah, I know she's, that's been going on for a long time, but we are, we're aware of that and we're okay with that. That's, you know, that's what she needs to do. He goes, well, I don't know how to tell you this, but she is engaged to be married and she's going to leave the country and marry a guy in Kosovo and she's leaving in two weeks. And, you know, Sarah just came and told us and we felt like you needed to know that. And it was like, um, it was just, it was such a shock. But I knew it was true. I mean, it just explained so many things yeah, that the, we didn't the know. Final piece all of the these puzzle, pieces right? started falling in place as to what had been going on yeah. for this last year. Uh, but it was, it really was like being shell shocked. It, it was like having an explosion go off next to you and not, and everything just is ringing. Right. So that's how we found out. He, he told us that if uh, she finds out that you know she's prepared to leave the next day, um, Says I don't know what to tell you what to do, but you know we felt like we needed to know. Um, How did you decide what to do next? Well, I, I went and just uh, I, I just went off by myself and was just trying to just trying to absorb everything. It took a while for me to gather myself. I was very upset and and just thinking through what had happened over the year and all these revelations and light bulbs are going off as you started realizing what had been happening and things I couldn't explain suddenly started clicking in place. And I had no idea what to do. Um, I came back into the, um, into the building and Lisa Armbrister uh, came in in this conference room and she had, I don't know, I'd seen her in a couple of days and she knew I was, she could tell I was very rattled. It's a client, by the way, that we worked for. She's very rattled. Tells very, and she's, what, what's wrong? And um, she talked with me and prayed with me and shared with me her own story. And um, and she said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I just, I don't know. And she goes, well, maybe you could get law enforcement involved. I mean, there's a chance you could get the FBI or, you know, this is a foreign national that, you know, this could be, this could be, a, you know, a radical recruitment. You don't know what's going on. I said, well, I, okay. You know, I, that sounded like a pretty good idea to me. I didn't know w- yeah. what else I had. So the next morning when um, we saw each other uh, at breakfast, me and you and Jackie and J.D., uh, I mentioned that to you guys. And Jackie uh, Toole said, hey, I know somebody from the FBI, and I'll see if I can put you in touch with them, which she did. Which was a much more sane response than me saying, hey, I'll get a guy that will go. And <laughs> so Jackie put me in touch with these guys. It didn't uh, – her lead didn't necessarily go anywhere. Yeah. It, it kind of dead-ended, but at least I had an idea that those guys could help. I didn't even think about them. Mackenzie, you have no clue this is going on? No. no. Okay. We had to keep it uh, – I called I called Stephanie that night and told yeah. her several hours after I found out. And we decided we were just going to keep it strictly secret between us. We couldn't tell anybody. You got some pretty good parents. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> I have a temper, and I probably would have yeah, lost we, my mind. We just, you know, we just we just knew we had to keep our heads about us. And the only thing we had going for us is that she didn't know that we knew. Yeah, and that was an advantage. It's the only advantage we had, and we had two weeks. It turned out we had a little bit more but at the time. We were working off two weeks. So Jackie's lead didn't didn't pan out, but it, it got me on the idea that maybe this could could help. Um, after a couple of days, we went to some friends of ours. He actually is he was the safety uh, director of safety at DFW Airport. Uh, he had spent time overseas and very wise guy. And his wife's very spiritual and they've been good friends of ours for a long time. 
He said, maybe I can go talk to the chief police at DFW Airport and he'll have an idea what to do. Maybe there's a way we can stop her passport. Because we had two we had two things. We had to stop her from leaving. But then more importantly, we realized we need to stop her desire to leave. And we could stop her once, but if we didn't stop her from wanting to go, then it was just a matter of time before she left. We had to we had to solve both. Really, your biggest advantage looking back was the truth of the situation, right? Am I over exaggerating that? No. The truth uncovers a lot. When we realized what was going on, then we knew we were we were we had been dealing with the wrong problem. We were dealing this as rebellion and um and it wasn't that. I May mean, ask the best thing you said in an hour. Mm-hmm. I'm choking up. <laughs> but it is. That's really mm-hmm. good. So uh Steve uh put his he went and talked to the chief police at uh, DFW airport. He was worried that it was a radicalization. He um offered to go talk to the FBI there and the next day, we got a call from special agents at the FBI unit at DFW. Uh, they said that they had heard that our daughter was involved with um, someone overseas. Uh, they wanted to come and interview us, find out what was going on, and uh, that's how we, you know, that's how we ended up getting the FBI involved. So and, let's. So I got to go to you, Mackenzie. You're 18 years old. You got this going on. How was that conversation brokered of, hi, you're 18, and this is the FBI. Were you well, like, she didn't know anything about it then. Oh, this is completely yeah. secret to Thank her. God. Everything was she, this. Silent. She didn't, everything was silent for about three weeks. She had right. no idea. So I'll just continue down that way. With the but FBI y- started working with this. take the passport once you found out. That's how the passport disappeared. So that's when you moved it to the safety deposit box. Mm-hmm. That night. Right. Good, good. And then that's the night she checked and wasn't there. And okay. I asked my mom. <laughs> Like, I, I was hoping it was just like a nonchalantly or whatever. Because at the time, we were still talking about Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were still. Are your parents good actors? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you could play yourselves. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to produce this. But at the time, eventually we did move off of Switzerland. But at the time, we were still talking about Switzerland at that time. Because I had asked mom. You were doing the right thing. Just carry just on carry, as normal. Okay, just carry on as normal. Yeah, because I had right. asked mom. I said. Hey, where's the passport? Because Muriel and I wanted to compare her passport to my passport, and which is so obvious in my like yeah. that I was looking for it, but whatever. But she said that because we were going to Cancun in a few months, yeah. that she um, moved it to the safe deposit box just so that everything would be orderly, which is very good, actually. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay. But we really sat down. The first thing Steph and I did is we prayed together. Just that we would get yeah. just for help. And the second, we promised each other that regards of how this turned out, because it could go very badly. Yeah, it could have. The chances of us pulling her out of this, we felt like was slim to none. But we promised each other in regards of what happened. We were not going to leave anything. Any option was not going to be unturned. And we weren't going to blame each other um, if something if something went wrong. But that's how we went into it was just that. And we yeah. were going to do everything. Nothing was off the table for us. My first thought was we could just we could just shut this whole thing down. We'll take her passport, take her money, take her phone, take her car, and we could sweep everything out and just lock her up. And that's what you know. And I just uh, we'll just do that. We'll just keep her locked up. She can't go anywhere. And that would have worked for about three days. Yeah, you're way but, too smart. You would have gotten around that. Well, you know, if she didn't, if she wanted to leave, it was just a matter of time. You can't yeah. leave, keep her locked up forever. So we just. We resisted that urge to go and just just go crazy and just lock everything yeah. down. It's like we got to be smarter than that, and that's why we thought that if we could get the FBI involved um, and they could show her that that this guy has bad intentions and and kill her desire to go, then then the whole problem is solved. So how did they go about doing it? 
Well, as it turned out, that we were very uh, we were very fortunate to get the guys we did. Uh, Kevin Sheridan was the special agent that was primarily working with us, and he had spent he was a counterintelligence lead uh, for this part of the United States. Right. He's very well versed in everything along these ways. And we had about two weeks that we were just working with them and and giving them the information we found out. Now that we found out what was going on, she had uh, we we found about a post office box. We searched her room. Secretly found some other information, found out about what was, you know, that she was attending a mosque that we wasn't clear about. We got some information there. We were just, Steph and I alone were, were just gathering as much as we could and giving it to them, uh, all this information for uh, a few weeks and just, you know, figuring out what to do. So how did this come to a head? Was this you all sat down together? Well, the way uh, what we decided to do, um, Kevin said, I think what we can do is let's just do an intervention. We'll try to scare her off this this path, and uh, let's we'll just come in with shock and awe, and we'll we'll come meet. I'll this bring is some Texas, others. everybody. I'm gonna keep saying that. That's a, that's like on right. our license plate, Texas. Sure. Shock and awe. <laughs> We just wanted to shock her out of it and expose to her the dangers she was in. She yeah. didn't realize that she was in danger. And so the idea was we would have a meeting. We would surprise her with it. Uh, these guys would come in and, and just really lay on to her, you know, uh, the importance of it was basically an intervention. Yeah, I get that. And uh, the whole thing was uh, scripted from beginning to end, uh, what time they're going to be there and so forth. We had planned to meet um, on Friday, June 6th. We got a call. The Saturday before that, from her friend Madison, that said that she moved her timetable up, and we thought that we had uh, we thought we had a few weeks before she was planning to go. By this time, she's she's moved her time up. She's gonna be, she's gonna leave Saturday, and I called Kevin. I said uh, it looks like she's gonna try to leave Saturday the seventh. So we changed the meeting back to Wednesday to give us a little extra time, and, right. and we met. So the three FBI agents came to the house. Um, what were you doing that day? Just she out of curiosity. Just, oh, I had my final exam for a senior year. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, oh. I didn't know that any of this was going on. And I had moved it. Uh, Good move, too, by the way, yeah. so she could study. Did you actually study for exam and everything? Um, I mean, I, I passed. Okay, so. that's a good answer. We'll move right by that. Nice traumatic day. You were worried about it. Yeah, right. Good yeah, for just, you, though. I mean, right. given the circumstances, I just wanted to pass so I could good. get my... So you did your final exams for yeah. high school. Come home. Home? Um, no. I, okay, so I moved up the timetable yeah. because I think it was just that the flights were better. Like, yeah. it was cheaper. And... Also, I was going to wait till after graduation because in my generosity, I was going to all go to, to graduation for all of us together because I wanted I was trying to be like sincere and I wanted, yeah, you know, um, I didn't want to like crush them, right. but I wanted them to be able to see me walk because I knew that was a really big deal for them. But like I was going to save a bunch of money by going earlier and things were just like really not great at home, but you know. So I was like, yeah, um, I'll just go three days earlier. So that's how I got moved up. And the, F and the meeting with the FBI was supposed to be um, like th when I was going to leave. So then right. Madison called and she was like, hey, she's leaving three days earlier. So the FBI 
This intervention is three days before I was supposed to leave. And where at? Where'd you guys do it at? My house. At home. So you walked into the house. No. Um, oh, good. We had uh, the set FBI, this scene. The FBI came. Uh, so this is all planned. I knew exactly what time they were going to come. They were in dark suits. Uh, they got the little jackets. I'm on. telling you, it, exactly right. They came in three dark sedans, parked in front of the house. Guys, you're so three, predictable. Uh, you guys yeah. shake it up just yeah. a little bit, man. They came in in suits and ties. Uh, and I knew they were coming. And you know, yeah. we met. We met an hour before we were to have her come over. And the other um, kids out of the house somewhere? Uh, the other, other boys were at school. My in-laws actually were living with us at the time, and they didn't know anything about what was going okay, on. Okay, wait a home. minute. Your in-laws were living with you? My what is wrong with yeah. you? Well, my my father-in-law is very sick. That's the equivalent of final exam. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've been married a long time. My, my father-in-law is very sick, and so oh they've been God. living with us for All about right. six months. So they didn't know, and this had been going on, they didn't know anything about right. any of it. God. And right. uh, so we just came to him and said, they said, we don't have to explain. The FBI is on their way here. We need you guys to go back in the bedroom and we'll call you when we're when we're done. And they just went back to the bedroom. Okay. And what was amazing, though, because he was very like foggy. He was on a lot of medicine. He's now OK. Yeah. Um, but he was on a lot of medicine at the time. So he probably thought he was just stoned. He was like, I think they said well, the FBI is coming. You know, but it, no, he was actually he very clear headed At that moment, apparently. I at wasn't moment, there. But, um, you know, mom had talked to him yeah. and said, she's like, mom and dad, like, y'all need to go in the bedroom. Um, I can't explain this right now, but, you know, McKinsey's in trouble and the FBI's on their way. And, of course, my grandma was like, what? Like, you know, well, yeah, what's going on? Normal. What's going on? And, uh, but my, uh, you know, apparently my grandfather was like, Okay, let's just do what they say, and yes, that was exactly that, right. you know, and yeah. that which was blessing. different because a lot of times you would talk to him and he just didn't even knew know you were there half the time. So let's time. So yeah. I got to get this from your perspective because I'm imagining what it would be like for me. Well, my mom. So I finished my last exam and I was yeah. walking to my car, and my mom was standing at my car. I was like, that's weird, and so I walk up to her and I'm like, hey, like you know what's going on? She's like, um, well, the FBI's at her house. Do you have any idea why that would happen? And they knew, but they didn't want me to know that they. Right. Knew. This is this is all scripted. So um, <laughs> I was like, well, um, I, the only reason because I knew by talking to Adam, I wasn't doing like a crime. I was like, why would the FBI care? Because right. I mean, at the time we had done this whole religion thing, but it was not radicalization. There was yeah. no talk about anything like that. Um, so even if you know the government had like somehow like they had read my text, whatever that um, it'd be. Cause I'd heard sometimes that happens. But there's still but, nothing. Yeah. Not yeah. that that happens. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a mic probably right yeah. there recording everything we're saying. I was like, but there was no talk. Yeah. About you hadn't done happened. anything illegal. Yeah. Let's keep right. stating that for everyone. Um, but the one thing I did think was the passport that was technically illegal. But I had heard that nobody ever like the FBI's never showing that. up. Yeah, I was <laughs> that. like, that's weird. So you know, she was like, "Do you know why um, that could happen?" And I was like, "No, I have no idea." You know, and the whole time I'm like, you know, I'm driving because they made me drive, so I wouldn't text smart him. And um, we, I get to the to our house, and there's three vans, like dark vans. Right. And um, to get to our house, it was like a, it's not super long, but it's just like a small walkway, but it felt like the longest walkway in my entire life. So when we walk into the house to the left, there's three agents and two are sitting across the table and then one to the side and they all stand up and I shake their hands. But Agent Sheridan is like, like six, four. So this big giant FBI stands up, shakes your hand and you're like, oh crap. And so I was like. 
you know, so, you know, I'm, and I felt so small at that time and I shake his hand um, and we sit down and I am so nervous. Like they say, well, we know we're here to ask you questions and we know the answer to a lot of these questions. So if you lie, we'll know. And I was like, oh, great. So, you know, and I wasn't planning on lying anyways. But, you know, made me nervous. And then they show me my Miranda rights and they're like, do you know what this is? I was like, no. And he's like, well, this is what we use to take you out in handcuffs if we need to. I was like, oh, OK. And, um, you know, and obviously I was so like I was I was terrified, yeah, you know, right, and um, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know why they were there. But basically um, the whole gist of it was um, they felt like I was in danger and this guy was involved in one of three things. One was possible um, citizenship fraud. Um, and then the other one was human sex trafficking, um, which was, I think they said that was like the most likely scenario, especially yeah. in Kosovo. It's very um, prominent there. Or organ harvesting, which is you are in the sex trafficking business. And then once you um, are basically of no use to them anymore, which the average like lifespan of girls in human sex trafficking is um, like a year to God, two years. This sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so they'll, they'll use you as much as they can for the sex trafficking and then they'll just take like your organs or whatever. So they said, this is not where you need to be. And um, they said, we take girls like you home in body bags all the time. And they said, so stop talking to him. And, you know, I'd say like, well, what do you have on him? Like, what's wrong with Adam? You know, it was like numbing, but so sharp at the same time. Like they were saying all these things and um, I was supposed to leave to go like marry this guy in three days. And I I was like helplessly in love with him. And they just couldn't tell me anything about him. They're like, well, you know, like we know a a few things, but we're not going to give you anything specific because like we're working like it's a case and whatever. So basically they left um, and they said, just stop talking to him. And me and my wisdom, I ran upstairs right after we, we hugged and then I ran upstairs and I called him immediately, obviously. Right. And, and on Skype, I'm assuming. Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Right. And I was like, what did you do? You know? And he's like, he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, there's the FBI at my house. And, you know, he started crying and then I started crying and um, which I don't know. He just he genuinely seemed so like confused you know and not like just trying to like cover his tracks like oh well i don't know what they're talking about he was like like he had no idea and then after that i went to the mosque and um it then from then on it shifted from me going to him to him coming to me to like trying to get him here because we had looked at visas and stuff before but now um but we never could do a visa because you needed like a u.s sponsor no one's gonna sponsor him because they didn't tell anybody um and the few people i did were my age you know so then it, it turned into who can help me sponsor him to get him here. Um, so the intervention just triggered a different path is what it sounds well, like. Well, it was success in making her – it killed her she desire didn't, she to want to go. go. Yeah. And, and now she was safe in that regard. But now the second battle was she was trying to get me yeah. to bring him over and here. And they took my passport. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I physically couldn't leave either. So where did it eventually go with Adam? What, what eventually was it? Just um, learning more time or well, just... Well, you know, um, we found... Th- I had talked to the mosque a lot. Yeah. And they were going to look at trying to bring him here. And I found out actually just recently that they had 
decided to sponsor him. They didn't tell me yet, right. but mm-hmm. they had decided and they talked to the Muslim agent. There was a Muslim agent of those three. Right. Um, and he was very helpful me personally at the time. And but he and he also attended that mosque. Yeah. And um, he was very upset when he learned like what had happened and like, yeah. what how they were like kind of covering this at the same time right. and helping me when they knew my family didn't know. But anyway, so they had decided to sponsor him. And then that agent found out and he immediately went back to them and they were like, do not do this. Like, this is not okay. Do not sponsor him. And so, but I never knew about that. I just found out about that like a month ago. And I I was, I was continuing to work with the FBI during those weeks. They were, I was in constant contact with them. All this information I knew about, I actually went and met with the mosque twice to confront them about what they knew and why they were involved with this and, you you know, get them aligned with me on keeping her safe. Uh, So that went on for about three weeks. Were you successful with that? Somewhat. um, The agent was really the... The agent was the really one that was good. And um, so it was was somewhat successful with it. But, but, you know, we were almost getting to an impasse. And um, uh, for about three weeks, there was um, a lot of critical instances where she was really trying to force my hand on some things uh, to force him over here. Uh, that we talk about in the book, but um, it was a it was a difficult three weeks yeah. uh, after the three weeks had already been through. But um, but towards the end, uh, we really wasn't getting anywhere. And then Mackenzie had um, you know you had your little cat. Is is you wouldn't think it's related that you can kind of this is how cats solve everything. This is how <laughs> not that it, I believe the, that my wife would was say finally. We've been talking to her all along about. The danger of what she was in, yeah. why we thought that it was wrong, what she, what we were seeing that we weren't seeing, what the FBI was seeing that she wasn't seeing, mm-hmm. but it all culminated with um, your little, your little cat. Angel was her name, and um, <laughs> okay, wait, wait, back up, seriously? <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. Simon and Schuster, the Christian version, didn't tell you to <laughs> yeah. say that the cat's name. No, was her name was Angel, uh, and whatever. you know she was. A lot of people would argue that she was misnamed because, but I would, <laughs> I would argue differently. Um, she didn't like anybody except for me. And she Lucifer really, was an angel too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have two cats, and I can't stand them. And my wife's like, yeah. "No, all right." So the cat that only loves you, only loves me, yeah. And she, I mean, like, she was evil to other people. Like, she hated anybody else. But she, I mean, she loved me ever since she was really little. And she really was like the first animal that I just like fell in love with, you right. know. And I'm a huge animal lover. But she really, like, showed me animal love, you know, like yeah. the comforting and stuff. Which you needed right now, right? Right. Because you needed mm-hmm. somewhere yeah. to go because mm-hmm. everywhere you were looking for resources right. now. Yeah, we say Angel knew all my secrets. So she, I told her everything, yeah. and she would lay in my bed every night, and we were so close. Well, one night, I, like, tried to pick her up, and she meowed kind of weird, and, like, immediately went upstairs. I was like, Mom, like, Angel's acting weird. Like, maybe we should take her to the vet. So we took her the next day to the vet, and they just did some... Um, tests and whatnot. They're like, well, you know, like we can't really find anything. She looks fine. Um, they're like, if you don't, if she doesn't look good, take her back, like take her back in like two days. But by a few hours later, it was clear she wasn't going to make it through the night. Wow. And it was one of those things that, you know, you could take her to the vet, but it's just not going to work. She was doing weird things. Like she was um, like sleep, like trying to sit in the cat box, you know, I just knew. So it was obvious that she was going to die, and um, but we were just really hoping that she was going to make it through. But I decided that night to lay out like a pallet in the laundry room on, on the on the floor and just sleep in the laundry room because that's where she was and just like hold her. Oh God, I'm going to start crying. Just like hold her and um, 
So she started like she started my hip, and um, all throughout the night, <laughs> all throughout the night, she's like moved up, <laughs> and um, like every few hours she like move up and closer and closer, and um, eventually she was just like on my neck. She was just like laid across my neck, and um, like I just knew she was gonna die. And um, my mom was like sleeping downstairs. And um, I hadn't talked to my, my, we weren't talking at the time. She just started, like, she eventually just, like, started convulsing. And, um, like, you know, I was, like, screaming for my mom. And um, luckily it was, like, pretty fast. But it was probably, like, um, a few seconds. And um, then she just died. Like, I was just holding her and she died. And um, that was probably, like, my last friend at the time, you know. And, um but that was the first time that I leaned on you guys, you know? And, um, and so I called my mom called my dad. Cause I said like, will you go get dad? And both of them came downstairs and they're both on either side of me. And, um, like I was holding angel and just crying and stuff. And, um, it just, that was the first time that we had really like been like a family, you know? And, um, and then later that day I had a meeting scheduled with the last meeting for the FBI agent Sheridan. And um, you called him and said, you don't think this is a good time, right? Yeah. I called him and said, you know, told him what we'd just gone through. So is there any way we could postpone it? And he said, actually, this is the this is the time she needs to come in. She'll listen right now because her defenses wow. are down. So I took her. We went to DFW Airport, uh, met with him again. And um, and then he talked to her again about a lot of the same things we talked to her about three weeks ago. But now her... She was, you know, the, the, the defenses weren't up and um, and listened to him and, and heard uh, what what we'd all been saying and just just saw it from a different perspective for the first time. And uh, Agent Sheridan predicted um, in that meeting what uh, just expressing to her the danger she was in right. and, and predicting if you try to break it off with him, this is what he's going to do. This is what he'll say. And. Um, and driving back. And eventually I was like, okay. So he said, if you text him and say, there's no way I can bring you here. Nobody can bring you here. Right. You're going to have to figure it out on your own. I'm sorry. He'll come back and he'll, um, you know, just say, okay, well then you come here. Like he'll just go back to that conversation right. and then he'll get kind of mean or like, you know, he'll just like try a bunch of different stuff. And um, so on the way back, I texted him exactly that. Like, hey, I can't. I can't do it. Were you and, doing it as a test or did you really believe um, it would happen? A little both. I was starting to think it wasn't going to happen anyways. And it, I mean. And did it happen as they said? Oh, exactly. Verbatim. It's almost like a script. Yeah. It? Yeah. Verbatim. Scary. And so he came back and he's like, okay, well, you come here. And, you know, like I said, I was starting to think, I was starting to realize this wasn't going to happen. And I was yeah. also starting to see just like how much damage this has done. Yeah. And any relationship shouldn't cause this damage damage you know yeah. so um you know i texted him that and it was weird texting him that stuff you know because i had just never done that before and um for the next few hours we were talking or we were texting and um i called my mom upstairs and she sat with me i had told her everything i just started talking to her and told her like everything that had happened every like she had questions you know i just wanted right. to i talked to her like i used to then that n next morning or over that night, I texted him and I said, like, this, like, I'm done. Like, I can't right. do this, you know. And it felt like almost like in a dream when you see yourself doing something. Yeah. Um, but it's like you can't stop yourself. It was so it was so strange. Like, 
I um, it just felt so foreign, like texting this stuff, because this is what I've been trying to protect. This is all I cared about. It's like my life for the past year. And um, he, you know, just obviously was very upset about that. He was mad and mean. Then I blocked him on everything. That was probably the weirdest part is blocking. You know, yeah. like I never thought I would do. You're that. shutting doors mm-hmm. to oh, a yeah. large All part of your of life. Shutting and bolting, you know. Yeah. So um, and, you know, he tried to get back in my life a few yeah. times. But um, after that, you know, he was gone and um, the mosque tried to contact me a little bit more. But I was I was never connected with that religion yeah. so much. And the only reason why I was there was because. Adam wanted me to right. be there. So as soon as I broke off ties with Adam, then um, I got calls from the mosque a few times, obviously, like, you know, the church would do that. And I was just like, hey, you know, I'm just, I just don't really know about this, whatever. And then they stopped calling me and everything's fine. That same day, I had texted him over that night, that same day, I called all my friends back and they were all over at my house that afternoon, yeah. you know, and I saw Madison the other day and Jordan and Sarah, I saw them like two days ago as well. So here's how I knew things were getting back to normal because it was a couple months later and John and I were talking and I, I said, how's it going? And he says, Mackenzie wants a motorcycle. <laughs> I said, give her the damn motorcycle. <laughs> Which you did buy a motorcycle, didn't you? Yes. Or did you? Okay. No, so yeah. yeah. So anyways, yeah. Remember when we started all this about the adventurous <laughs> and everything right. else. And, but I like what John said. He goes, if that's the worst thing I have to deal with for the rest of my life, <laughs> she can have the biggest Harley yeah. ever. And uh, I thought that was like, do you still own the bike or is it gone? No, I had a sport bike for, for a while. I rode that for a little over a year. I stopped that and then I skydived for a while. I got my license for skydiving. Don't care. Good. And then, yeah. <laughs> you go and do whatever you want. And <laughs> now I rock climb and I am, and I attend college. So, you know, things so, are pretty good. So there's a story out right now that I don't know if you saw, but there was a German girl who was 16 that met a guy that was basically associated with ISIS, ran away from home, went to live with them. And she was just, Mosul was been freed. Um, by the um, Iraqi forces, and she was part of the group that they found, mm-hmm. right? So she was 16 years old when she left Germany, and it's interesting when they talk to her because what's out now, she said, I just want to go home. Mm-hmm. So but she think can't about, go home, right? Well, that's the whole, it's a very interesting, it's ongoing, right? right? So you got this girl that's 16 in Germany who left married, that she has a kid, and she's in a camp right now in, in Iraq. Right. It's been liberators. Her husband's been dead for like he got he died fighting, um, I think, like two years ago. And so when she was interviewed, I remember her saying, I just want to go home. That's all I want to do. That's what um, you know, that's what that agent told us as well, that he told me once he was like, you know, I knew a girl who um, was doing the same thing you're doing. Yeah. And we thought she was going to like a like a jihad sort of yeah. situation. And he was like, but she was convinced she wasn't. Um, and we kept telling her, if you get off that plane and you get arrested, there's nothing we can do. Yeah, you're outside. Um, and she's like, no, like, that's not what's happening. It's not what's happening. But she left. And as soon as she got off the plane, she got arrested. And she is still in yeah. a prison over there. And it's been a long time. That's right. And she's still there. So this is what I'm curious about. So this started with technology. We started with chat roulette mm-hmm. way back when, when we started doing this interview. So technology is just a tool. Right. I keep saying that over and over again. It's just a tool. We're still people. We choose how to use it. So looking at it now, how are you using it to get your message out? I mean, you have the book, but are you using 
Right. Yeah. Um, we are. We probably need some help on it, actually. But um, oh, you're I'm, gonna get a lot of help. You yeah. get a book coming out. There's this yeah. company called Simon and Schuster, <laughs> and I have a feeling, besides NBC, ABC, and yeah. all the other ones, that well, you're gonna we, have some channels. We have Instagram. I'm really good at Instagram. Um, the only problem I'm finding with Instagram is that I don't like. We're leaving town tonight, and I want to post that we're leaving town. Yeah. But I'm not sure the photo to post with that. So that's kind of the mm-hmm. issue I'm having there. But Instagram is great. Uh, I'm learning Twitter. For some reason, I'm not like a Twitter fanatic, but I need to be. And um, Facebook. And Facebook, I'm finding, is really good to, like, have the following that you need. The community. The community, right. And um, so those are the main ones. And then we're also starting blogs Mm -hmm. for people to kind of follow us on that. And um, we're also just kind of our our, um, publicity agent, I think, will start kind of. Yeah, you're going to. Yeah. That will help. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's interesting the did a lot in three years. That's pretty good. And the yeah. other thing is that McKenzie in our talks uh, talks a lot to the young people about the dangers of online and, and the fact that it's not in, inherently dangerous, but you have to be careful about the way you use it. Mm-hmm. And that if you start seeing things that are not right um, and in relationships, uh, you know, that's the it's, biggest it's not, sign. You, you, she thought she was safe. Yeah. She thought, you know, he's a long way away. And, and um, but once you allowed him to come in the door to those technologies that were closer to you, more personal. Um, you know, she viewed him as being face to face. And, um, you know, you never really considered the fact that you hadn't met him. Mm-hmm. In, but, right. uh, but I've always told my kids for a long time is that anybody could be anything for a little while. Yeah. And, um, and there's a funny saying, a dog is still a dog in the internet. Right. <laughs> right? No yeah. matter how Doug the pug, is <laughs> still a dog. So yeah. that, yeah, that you don't see the whole thing. That's right. You've got a good message that you can give to parents because the way you handled it, right, yeah. was uh, remarkable the way you and your wife and even with your in-laws, that whole situation. That's a good message going back to the parents that the hammer and a nail approach, that's a good quick reaction and almost never, ever, ever works. I have four kids. Very rarely has that ever worked. It made me feel better. I would say my message to parents is it was a um, it was a continual process of growing for me yeah. from from really I, what I came to realize in the is that it wasn't about me and I was making it about me when we were going through the the religious conversion and all I thought about is how it was reflected on me as a you know being from the south and how foreign that is and when I let that go and said you know what I'm gonna and I'm just gonna love her where she is. I, I may not like where she is, but I'm going to love her where she is anyway. And and it doesn't matter if she's Christian or Muslim or circus clown or whatever it is. I'm just going to love her where she's at. And when I when I reached that point in my life where I could do that, then then I was uh, I, I had something to hold on to, and I could let go of all the bitterness. And when it came time where we were out of it, when it came time to forgive. It was easy for me to forgive because my love for her was was greater than that. That's the purpose driven life. The theme of the book is not about you, right? I keep trying to hammer that with my kids. It's not we, about you. We've also, when I talk to people, um, we always say we, you know, we talk about technology a lot, and um, I've been saying, you know, like it started with like texting, and then there's calling, and then there's Skype, and now there's like. You know, like holograms, you know, and Everything. and things are starting to be so real. And it's great if you are using it correctly, like if you have family and like, you know, even long distance relationships, yeah. it is great. But it, the whole purpose of this technology evolving is to make it feel like the person is really there. And so we always say technology is evolving. It's just important to kind of really understand that they aren't 
there, you know, even though it feels like they are. And I feel I really feel like in 30 years, it'll be like you could be sitting right there. You know what I mean? But you know what I bet in 30 years, though, it still won't be good enough. We talked about right. that over breakfast mm-hmm. that. Yeah, exactly. And I tell people. Still doesn't replace the human. Right. And I tell people, like, the only thing you know about this person that you're talking to is what they allow you to know. Yeah. Because as soon as they turn off the TV or they turn off the computer, that's that's it. Like, you only know what is coming through them. Yeah. It's dangerous. Well, we're going to put a ton of links out there to, to the book and to everything that's going on. And we probably need to come back and revisit, like, in a year. Yeah. <laughs> and see when you're a you know professional rock climber we'll come back right. and, and see where where it's at okay well thank you both for taking the time it's an incredible story thank you thank you this show is crafted for you by the folks at 11fs we're building banks for the future find out more at 11fs.com if we hooked you with this episode be sure to leave us a review on itunes every star helps today's episode was edited by michael bailey and produced by Laura Watkins, Ollie Judge, and myself. I'm Sam Mall, and this has been Connection Interrupted. Thanks for listening. <laughs>